Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. It's my joy again to be here because as I see many of you sitting here, again, I think like I'm just struck with the fact that I cannot, it, it almost feels like um, we have always been doing this, but then as I reflect, we're like, hey, things have opened up kind of quite recently, right? And so many of us are reeling from maybe like uh, adjustments, right? Our lives, relationships, uh, a lot more like different kind of social. Now it's like, eh, oh yeah. Sometimes I catch myself, can or not so many people, eh, can, can. Now can already. Uh, it's still kind of uh, how it's wired, uh, that caution and that like, oh, so many people not used to it. So same like the wedding yesterday. I was just, wow, crowd, crowd. Uh, but this crowd is good. This crowd is good. So good morning. Um, I'm going to talk to you about something that was kind of inspired from last Sunday. And uh, so Pastor Su In, who, who spoke on spiritual friendship, uh, I, I felt um, there was a need to kind of lean into that and ask God uh, for uh, some insight about some of the stirrings in my heart. And, and I'll just start off by saying many things impact our view of God, right? Um, many things impact our view of ourselves. And, you know, like our sense of self, our identity, not only do our maybe early years experience or maybe even recently the impact our view of God, they also actually color, right, the way we relate, the way we receive uh, care and the way we give care. And so last Sunday, um, hearing about friendship, and I know uh, many of you were like, yeah, you know, either it's like you were speaking into where you've been really feeling a need to like deepen some authentic spiritual friendships, or some you never realized, but as you heard and you're like, oh yeah, yeah, that would be really good for me, right? So I felt prompted to ponder on some key reasons why those of us, we may desire this, we want to cultivate such friendships, we may find ourselves either hindered or helped because of certain reasons. And one of these I felt got highlighted to me was the whole air of shame. And so I'm no expert on shame. Uh, I don't know if anyone goes around saying that they are, but I do have a little experience what it's like to carry shame, right? As many of you or all of you do. And so I'll share a little bit of them uh, later. And they're nothing extraordinary very commonplace experiences in life. But I share them, hopefully, shamelessly, you know, without shame, so that it will uh, help you uh, relate as well, right? So I believe God wants to speak into this area even as we want to deepen our walk with Him and each other, right? So let me pray as we delve into the topic. God, we uh, come and we recognize that You are truly in the business of um, causing goodness to come out of sometimes what we see is just broken. And even now we say we come uh, as a testament of your work. In all our flaws, failures, and good. And we recognize and we embrace all of that not because we are strong or uh, whatever, but simply because all of this is our life with you. And so it's all good. 
And so we pray that insight and wisdom come from you, Holy Spirit, not from me, um, that we hear you, Holy Spirit, above all, in Jesus' name. Amen. We're talking about God who heals our shame. And how do we define the word shame? But I know maybe you can Google, Wiki will have some words for you. But I do find it's a bit hard to define. Right? It's mostly couched in words that don't directly associate with shame. Right? I am not enough. Something's wrong with me. I don't matter. I'm not good. I don't deserve love. And guilt and shame often occur together. But I found out also that more recent studies have informed a much deeper understanding of how these are similar but also distinct. Uh, which is kind of, it, it can be and it has been very helpful actually in the fields of psychology and of course theology. It's significant in our discipleship right, as we follow Jesus, both for ourselves and for our one anothering, right, as, as the people of God. Something that seems to distinguish guilt from shame, although they occur together often, is guilt sounds like I've done something wrong, shame is I am something wrong. Guilt is I've, uh, I've made a mistake. Shame is I am a mistake. And in other words, we feel guilty for what we do. We feel ashamed for what we are, who we are. Someone feels guilt because he or she did something wrong, whereas someone feels shame because he, he or she is that something wrong. And so guilt can sound also like what I did was not good, whereas a shame-bound uh, shame person would say, I am no good. And although they are both emotions that are responses to some kind of failing, what guilt focuses on is the thing committed or the behavior. Shame focuses on ident identity. It has to do with yourself and how you perceive yourself. And so hopefully the definition helps. Uh, it's not, I'm not trying to get it into the dictionary, but shame, is this um, self-conscious, painful uh, emotion that arises from the sense or belief that one is inadequate, unworthy, that leads to the notion that your whole self is bad. And what this means, if you look at this, is that it makes sense that it would be easier for, if I were feeling guilty, it would be easier for me to talk about it and admit it but if I'm feeling shame, it's a lot harder. And so chances are it will be the same for you. If you're feeling carrying shame, uh, it's almost a primal urge to conceal it. And we may not even realize that that's what we're doing. What does it look like when someone feels shame? So there's a spectrum. Again, this is not Bible truth. Um, I thought just this would help kind of understand and. Uh, it's for you to identify how shame kind of plays out uh, if you haven't thought much on this topic. The intensity varies, but imagine a spectrum. So, I, so in Canva, I could not find a nicer way to show the spectrum. <laughs> but it works, okay? Whatever. If it doesn't, you change your own after you screenshot it. So on the left, you see like from mild embarrassment goes heavily more intense to utter humiliation, 
right? I'll give you some example. This like mild embarrassment is kind of like, you know, I remember if I watch Mr. Bean, uh, <laughs> you may not be able to tell, but I, I am a fan. But Mr. Bean, he's <laughs> it, just sometimes you watch, you're, like, you're just cringing, like, no, he did not just do that. Like when he put this his mucus in a very special place. Uh, you just feel this mild <laughs> embarrassment for him, or maybe some of you, you like, you, you watch The Office, you feel like it's an awkward moment, right? you cringe on behalf of the character, or whatever, okay? Or maybe yourself. Uh, for example, maybe you found out after a business lunch that you had spinach lodged between your teeth for the past two hours, and the person never told you. Um, feel embarrassed? No? Some, one of you goes, Oh, I'd love to have lunch with you. Uh, <laughs> uh, I would feel embarrassed, but not too bad. It's not like in the red, on the red area. Or uh, maybe uh, you sit with a group of friends and you're talking, you, like it's school reunion right, with school friends and you're all chatting and like suddenly you said that you don't know about something that's been going viral and they all turn to you. What? You don't know about this. How can you not know? Where have you been? Right? Do you feel embarrassed? No. Some of you are like, no, okay, not really. Your shame, uh, your shame uh, threshold very high. Okay, that's good. that's all good. Yeah. But I I felt that uh, especially when uh, I you know moved to places, and they're like, how do you not know that? Okay. Not here though. Y'all don't do that to me. Thank you. Uh, the other thing, the other thing that is more on the red side is what if you're asked to MC for a wedding and, uh, you know, you did not anticipate the traffic and this is like close family friend, very well respected family in the city, everybody knows them and you're so late they had to find someone to replace you. No? Embarrassed? You? How do you... Get over that. <laughs> okay, so you know, all of that has happened to me. Uh, <laughs> spinach, yes. Mr. Bean, yes. How do you know that? Yes. MC wedding, didn't show up. That's me. <laughs> yep. Yep. At some point in my life, I will live it down. Well, it was a close family friend. But we're still friends. Uh, God help them. Uh, how, many of you <laughs> how many of you can identify with these, okay? So maybe give me three more examples. What are scenarios where it's just, don't just, not the green part. Maybe somewhere in the middle, if that's not too uncomfortable. Something that is what you would feel ashamed about if it happened, if. In some situations, uh, you will realize that whether it's real or imagined, sometimes it's, it's not even the point. You feel embarrassed or you feel humiliated and almost without a really conscious kind of this is how I'm going to step one step to it, uh, there is a flight response or a fight response or you're frozen, okay? Uh, I have a friend who I used to be at our house and hang out a lot and um, so I notice whenever like the parents are in the same room and they start um, talking or arguing, there's a lot of tension in the room, she would literally just drop everything, go to her room and hug her knees to her chest. Uh, and, and that, she, I don't know if she even realized it like back then, right? And now she does. That's her flight response. When it's a general state though, 
uh, a shame-bound person would withdraw, self-isolate, you would self-diminish, and, and all that. And so this professor who's an um, ethics professor for a long time at Fuller says, shame is a vague, undefined heaviness that presses on our spirit, dampens our gratitude for the goodness of life, and slackens the free flow of joy. Just another way to describe what shame does when it's heavy in our lives, right? What is culture's view or attitude towards shame? Okay, we hear, sometimes we say ourselves, oh, you know, oh, just be yourself, no shame here, okay? Yeah, that's, yeah, we'd like to, we do that. But at the same time, uh, I think it's very prevalent and universal to shame or be drawn to uh, situations where people feel shame, right? And that's why some videos go viral, because they put certain people to shame, right? It is um, appealing for some reason. The cancel culture builds on shame, right? Victim blaming uh, in, in many cases is, is an immense form of shaming, right? Shame to some people though, um, and I mean, uh, just putting it out there how some people would view shame is that it plays a positive function. It's necessary in society to affirm social order. It's a process, a neurobiological process that's interpersonal, which instead of violating community standards, the uh, person develops a proper self-regulating behavior, right, that is appropriate. And this is called sometimes discretion shame or respect shame. Just like so the positive uh, areas of shame. And in recent years, there's been a lot of literature, right, books and stuff like that written about the need or the, 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 uh, the, the essentiality of being vulnerable, or on that, being authentic, being vulnerable, which is good. But if taken in a reductionist way, I feel it falls short because it does not have a view of the ultimate goal, the ultimate telos of why even address shame, right? Knowing that goal, that end goal, having it in mind actually has a bearing on why. Why would you want to deal with shame? How do you decide who helps you deal with it and how you can overcome it? So for example, people would say the irony is we try to disown our difficult stories to appear more or less acceptable, but our wholeness depends on the integration of all our experiences, right? Including the false. Sounds good. And this is a, a, yeah, one of the gurus in the area of the need for vulnerability. Uh, and this is what that person says. The irony is that, but we must integrate all of these experiences, including the false, uh, for life, true. Then my question will be integrate with what? Integrate just with my own life and my narrative, my understanding of the world. Inter integrate with what or whose story? Is there a story that's greater than your own? And the most key fall then I would suggest has to do with the fall. And this happened in the book of Genesis. What? How is shame portrayed in the biblical narrative? Now, from the start in the Garden of Eden, you would actually have seen shame disrupting and disintegrating connection. Connection with creation, with God, with ourselves. Uh, that is the fall, 
right? No bigger fall than that. And at first, you would see in Genesis 2.25, the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. But then Genesis 3 happened after the fall, verses 7 to 10. Then the eyes of both were opened, they knew they were naked, and they sewn leaves together, right? Then they heard God walking in the garden. What did they do? They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Never did they do that before. They hid themselves, and God comes calling, where are you? And Adam said, I heard you, I was afraid, and I hid myself. Fear, guilt, shame. Now pay attention to what God did. What God did in response to that. Genesis 3.21, God made for him and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. God in his love made a covering for them. That when they felt ashamed, meant that God sacrificed, basically sacrificed animal for the skins and blood was shed so that they could be clothed in their shame. Did you get that? This is a foreshadow. Who does it remind you of? Jesus, whose blood was shed, who gave his life so that we would be robed in righteousness. That's what God did. The sacrifice of the lamb, bloodshed for us. You see, in the final end of God's story, not just me integrating my life experiences myself, but with God's narrative, we know God will vindicate his people. There will be no more weeping, no more tears, no more pain or sorrow, no more shame. Right? This is how the story will end, the story of stories. This is the ultimate telos, the ultimate goal. Our vulnerability is because we can trust in the story from garden to the feast in Revelation. That is why we deal with our shame. That is why we can confidently say, God will heal my shame. Right? And, and God's people is a community with which I can combat shame. I can overcome shame because of this grand narrative. We cannot talk about dealing with shame without recognizing this and how it started. God's creation, God's intention for it, it was God's purpose since the beginning for there to be goodness, beauty, and joy, the shalom in the garden, right? But the enemy used shame as a weapon. Are you sure God said that? He used the shame as a weapon to corrupt our relationships with God and with each other and to disintegrate any of our gifts and, and calling and endeavors that promote the goodness God wants to restore in our world. Hear me, when we combat shame, we are not just wrestling against something we don't like because, yeah, we don't like shame. It's ugly. But we are actually returning and being part of God's restoring work to his original design. That's powerful. Why do I want to combat shame? Why do I not want to hang my head down and walk uh, you know, and, and live in shame? Not because I hate it, but because I hate it and God wants me to live that way. 
That's why. That is why I want to walk with no shame. Tell your neighbor, God heals your shame. Are you getting to know your neighbor very well today? God wants to heal our shame. Five characteristics of shame. And I'll try to go through this real quick. You guys okay? Five. First one is shame involves reality and feeling. What do I mean by that? There is objective reality and there is subjective feeling which may or may not be in sync with each other. Right? For example, um, someone could say something to me and in objectivity, it's not true, right? Like my kid would come back from school and say, my friend says my project is lousy. He feels shame, right? My first response is, who is this kid? <laughs> but it was like, oh, really? How do you feel? That's literally happened this week. Uh, yeah, I'm still like asking God, where do I put that? Where is this kid feeling? Uh, but anyway, is it real? Sometimes I'll ask the kid, right? Whether it's my son or my daughter, is, is it true what they said? No. Okay, that's good. That's a huge victory. Uh, sometimes it's a yes, right? And so sometimes when they say, no, it's not true, then you sit down with them and, okay, they said this. But, and of course you feel bad about it, but then you also know it's not true. What should we do with it? Right, there, there, there is a gap, right, between what's true and what we feel. So there's another example. There's this boy who was involved in school shooting. And um, I mean, no need the details, but the point is, I will illustrate, is that there was a video taken of him uh, in the act itself. Right, and he's just this brazen, like without shame. He's just going about it. He's like rage, embodiment of rage. And people were trying to tell him, like, look at what you've done. You know, this is wrong and stuff like that. And he's just like, like, ah, oh, like there's no conscience that you can see captured in that video. Interestingly, a few days later, he's captured on another video, walking with his parents to court, um, about to start his trial. Uh, but in this video, there's none of that. There's just his head hung down low, uh, he's in cuffs, he's walking to the courthouse, and there's no daring, there's no brazenness about him anymore. Right? And what I mean to point out is that, um, you see, the, the, what is real versus what he feels or he shows is totally different. First and second video. Many of you, maybe you've been reading like this thing about imposter syndrome, right? So I read out a little bit about it. It's loosely defined as this, okay? Check with me. Doubting your abilities and feeling like a fraud, which disproportionately, an article says, affects high-achieving people who cannot accept their accomplishments. High-achieving people feeling and doubting their abilities, feeling like a fraud. It affects them the most. Uh, in another article talking about how shame plays out in the lives of women that was in the study, it says our households and social circles often contribute to this. Social expectations and norms somehow make these women feel an overwhelming sense of shame and powerlessness even in the face of freedom 
and independence. It's, so reality is, they're in a, in, a, in, a, in a, they have the status of freedom and independence, but they feel this sense of shame and powerlessness. Why is that? Because there is a gap between reality and feeling. Second, shame anticipates something of the future. What do I mean by that? My cousin, I, when I was quite young, well, teenage years, which was just yesterday, my cousin commented on me being very tomboyish. I know some of you can't. I was wearing a skirt on purpose today. No, not really. But, <laughs> yeah, are we still friends? Okay. So my cousin commented on how tomboyish I, I was and my behavior, my demeanor, and stuff like that. And I was totally not expecting that. There I was, like bonding with her. And she started telling me that her mom's, her mom's been telling her that, you know, oh, Yeni is my family name. Yeni is very tomboy, uh, very hard to get married. It's not funny. It's not funny, okay? Okay, sorry. I mean, okay, you can laugh, but. <laughs> Just saying that at that point, it was, uh, it caught me off guard, and I didn't realize how I was impacted from it until years later when I was leading youth ministry, right? And a couple of my youth who were guys playfully kind of like, hey, Janice, you don't walk like that, lah. you look like a boy. Okay. And then it, it affected me. I mean, I didn't like punch them or anything, but <laughs> <laughs> I had to be a youth pastor. But I was unhappy. And when I reflected on it, I realized that it was from what my cousin had said. And how does it link to anticipating something from the future? It's because I think when my cousin said that, I felt shame when I thought ahead about possibly getting married. I felt I am not marriage worthy. That's not me. And that, that's how it impacted me. I felt shame for not just the way I walked or dressed, but it felt like me. My identity was ashamed. And I think in a lot of times when we feel shame is anticipating when this is going to get exposed, when are these people going to find out I'm not that good? When are these people going to know that I'm not really that cool? When are these people going to know that or like uh, you would just feel intimidated that I might be exposed for who I really am and they're not going to like me anymore? Right? That's, that's how the element of future plays out in our shame. Has it happened yet? No, we're imagining it, right? Third, it's tied to our past. Shame is very tied to our past, and I'm sure many of us know this already. From some accumulation of experiences, it resides in our memory, in our body, and it is triggered. When the emotion is activated, shame, or something triggers it, an event, an action. Right? It could be, it's, and it's very pre-verbal. Like a toddler feels shame. You don't teach them the word shame, they know. Fear also, right? Hunger. Well, okay, that's more physiological, but yeah. For some, it's like, you know, th are the shame that we're carrying is actually not just from accumulation of experiences from this life. It's from generations past. And it's very rooted as an unconscious survival mechanic. And I say this when I look at our family and, well, some of you, right? 
Shame like this, it generates these unconscious mechanics that Freud calls defense mechanisms, right? Denial, repression of our emotions, dissociation from emotions, our idealization of our parents, all these are our defense mechanisms. Because it's so far back, and because we repress them, we don't know what we don't know. And we cannot heal from what we don't allow ourselves to feel. That's the thing. And that's why I needed to point this out. It's tied to our past, but you may not realize it. And what you don't allow yourself to feel and be in touch with the shame that you have been carrying, you can't heal from. Yeah. For a fourth, it's, for, it's self-fulfilling. Shame is self-fulfilling. Why did I say this? Well, I'm sure some of you, it's self-explanatory. How I've experienced when I feel shame, or when I feel something and then I trace it back, I trace it, I see shame, right? Is me isolating myself. Right? It ranges on the spectrum, whether you're in a social setting, you feel very uncomfortable. Uh, I mean, not everyone here does that, but just how it's shown in me. Or in an extreme sense, I would isolate emotionally isolate. I do that. Um, humor. That's how our shame plays out sometimes. Sarcasm or not. We shield ourselves with ha 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 humor, laugh. Or uh, it, that's how I've experienced it. Judgmental. If I trace it back, sometimes my judgy thoughts stem from shame. Performance orientation. Performance orientedness, okay, whatever you call it, is, is sometimes driven by shame. I just need to keep proving myself, right? Because we don't want to see not good enough. P.O. Not B.O. P.O. Performance orientation. Anger, how it has played out is <laughs> uh, anger. Sometimes when I feel really the shame that's deep-seated, I lash out in anger. And I didn't realize that I had this issue until I got married. Disclosure time. There was one time, I can't remember, first or second year in our marriage, Matt and I were having an argument. And it got so bad and so heated, and we were in the car. It got so, well, I, I, I don't remember what it was about. I remember what happened. I just felt this rage in me, and I got so angry. I hit my head on the screen, the window. I was in the passenger seat. I hit myself on that window multiple times, hard. At that moment, I can't explain. Also, I like I felt like I want to get hurt so bad that this would stop, and I would trace it to shame. Sometimes it has played out in me in this just guardedness. The moment I see resemblance to certain things I've experienced before, be very guarded, uh, and I can be very good at not showing it. Hello. When we experience shame, we tend to turn away from people because we don't want to be seen or known, thinking that we'll be rejected. But our turning away, listen, even though it seems like it's protecting us, it reinforces the very thing you want to avoid. Five, shame disconnects us. And I'm going somewhere with this. 
it either integrates you and community or it disintegrates it either isolates and disconnects you or it connects you there was a time when i had um what i would call pretty traumatic experience um that resulted in a church that i deeply loved um with the church leadership feeling that i had betrayed their trust trying to leave out details here because that's not uh, the important part but what happened was that i felt so much shame even though it was a to me misunderstanding i felt so much shame in being perceived as a betrayer even though it wasn't true i was wronged and despite the injustice i felt my shame boundness because i carried shame with me in an unhealthy way my shame boundness kept me silent i could not speak up for myself i could not heal i could not lead for 3 years i could not pastor but what was my role for those 3 years pastoring nobody reached out to mediate nobody tried to talk me through what happened and the people that you know we loved we had good relationships with suddenly we just couldn't talk anymore i felt shame for feeling shame i felt shame for feeling wronged imagine that i felt shame for feeling angry that i was mistreated i carried shame but i needed to function as a pastor when we deal with people who battle with imposter syndrome listen the answer is not fixing the individual but in creating an environment that connects that is healing whether it's at home in the workplace or wherever now i mentioned i think one time in a message i hope i can close soon yeah in a message on uh, waiting that there was a period of time where met and i spent about 3 months in waiting if you ask if anything major or significant come out of that there are probably just a couple one of them was that it was in this period of waiting that one friend one friend came this was in the third year i was still hurting she came and befriended my shame with me we did a book study together we talked about it uh this was skazero's book anyway at the same time she was also the senior pastor of the same church and i think that really was healing it spoke it did volumes for me i mean the fact that i can be here we need to combat shame not alone but in the context of truthful loving conversations prayer and other embodied activity with people because shame must be regulated and healed in community why 
because it has to do with your sense of self and your social interactions. God wants to heal our shame. The thing is though, because of the gospel, we must recognize some things. Our point is not to ever make people not, like, it's not about, oh, don't make people feel bad because shame is bad. So don't, don't talk about it. Don't talk about sin. Don't talk about, you know, whatever. No, it's not that. It's important we recognize sin where there is sin. It's important to recognize brokenness and mistakes what they, as, as they are. It's important for people to be led to a place of conviction and repentance, okay, not condemnation. That is the full message of the gospel. It includes accepting the fact that we are flawed from the fall. That is who we are now. We are deeply flawed. And this knowing is essential for our walk with God to be known where we truly are. Then we can be transformed. Without deeper knowing of ourselves, we cannot deeply know God. And without deeply knowing God, we cannot know ourselves. And while it's true, yes, that yes, we come to a place where we can say, yes, it is true, all of us are deeply flawed and this awareness is important. However, feeling unworthy of love from God is damaging against that shalom from the garden, the tov of God. It's destructive to ourselves when we, in shame we turn inward. We are dissatisfied, we are defeatist, rather than connecting with God and people. And we see this in David's life, Psalm 51. Do you know David, I was reminded during worship, David is that same guy who danced without shame when the ark of God came back, right? He knows shame in the presence of God. He's felt deep shame in the presence of God. He turned to God nonetheless. He says here, Psalm 51, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before you. Against you have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified, right? He's talking to God. He recognized his flawedness and in the knowledge of God's love for him and who he truly is, the ugliness of his, his self, he turned towards God, which is crucial for his repentance. Create in me, verse 10, create in me a clean heart. Oh God, renew a right spirit within me because it is not right. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. God, you will not despise. Notice how he moves towards God. Is he discarding or denying his shame? No, he is bringing it to God. God, look at me. Look at me, create a clean spirit within me, purify me. God, look at me in my shame. Spiritual transformation, David Banner writes, does not result from fixing our problems. It results from turning to God in the midst of them and meeting God just as we are. Turning to God is the core of prayer in our sin and shame. That is where our transformation happens. 
You know, shame wants to undermine God's call in your life. God's intended goodness in the world. His intended beauty that should come forth from your life and our lives. But God invites us to move from self-condemnation and self-flogging to receiving His grace for mercy, for repentance, for transformation. Shame wants to keep you in a place of darkness, keep you in fear, intimidation, keep you isolated so that you cannot heal from it, keep you in your pride, in your sin, our arrogance, that we can handle this ourselves. But God would say, enough. There is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus knew shame. He knew shame on the cross. He understands our shame. He is not afraid of our dirty laundry. So church, as we close, just picture in your mind if there is a scenario or an area of pain in your life in which God is drawing your attention to now that comes to mind even as you hear this. When I talk about shame, as God leads you in your awareness of where you feel shame in your life, what comes to mind? When you read scripture, when you're praying, when you're in worship, when you're talking with your life group or you know, with whoever, the enemy comes and like, who do you think you are? You're not good enough. You've been so sinful the whole week. You don't deserve to be here. Every, any of you ever heard that? I hear it all the time. This past week, not, not the smoothest, but that's kind of normal. But there were occasions when I just felt like, God, I cannot speak. I cannot speak on shame. Give me something else. When we're aware of shame, it's not so that we can ignore it. But I encourage you, whether it's reading scripture, whatever you're doing, when shame comes knocking, let down your resistance. Lean into it. What's happening, God? Own your emotion and listen to God in that. God, what are you telling me? What are you wanting me to know about my reaction right now? I know that's not like intuitive. Just trying to give a little bit of pointers here. But here I'll close. You know, recently I came across this book because my friend was raving about it. Um, yeah, so you have time. Any of you read this book before? I know Phil has. Yeah. 
It's such a cute book. Like, I cannot hate this book. Um, and I'll tell you why. I mean, I earmarked some of it just to read out to you, but it won't be long, okay? So it's literally just, like, super easy read. I don't know if you even call it reading. Uh, looking. It says here, everyone is a bit scared, said the horse. But we can be less scared together. Oh. Okay. Hear this. The boy asked, what is the bravest thing you have ever said? Help. So you know all about me? Asked the boy. Yes, said the horse. And you still love me. We love you all the more. It's not just cute, it's profound. Last one. Sometimes I think you believe in me more than I do, said the boy. You'll catch up, said the horse. I've been battling these thoughts lately. Let me tell you what they are. I've been battling to believe I am deserving of help and care. When I'm in a delicate place and people reach out to help me and care for me, you know what's my first reaction? Go away. That's my shame. I'm not worthy to be helped. I'm not good enough to be cared for. I asked God today, why do you want to talk about shame? I don't think that's really come up in conversation. But as I prepared for this, just from a nudging, from asking God, from spiritual friendship, what's something that would hinder people in our church from actually applying what they learned from that message? It's shame. We think we want spiritual friendships. We think, oh, we can say yes, we need it. But our patterns and our old habits are strong enough if you're not careful, to keep you stagnant, intimidated, and plateaued. That's the truth. So I'm very convinced those of you who want to respond to God in obedience, in going deeper in your discipleship, this is an area you need to work on. And so can I invite you to stand with me and we'll all respond together, but just one invitation. My invitation to all is to respond in your own way in worship to God. But the particular invitation this morning is for the group of you, you're hearing this,
and you know God is speaking to you, and you're afraid, this is uncomfortable for you. You're like, not today, okay? Even if it's response time, if Jen is going to call me to respond in some way, no, no, no. I ask you to just check that, okay? I'm not saying ignore it. Check it with the Holy Spirit. Is this shame? And how do you want me to respond, God? Okay? So the group of you, you know God is speaking to you, and He's saying, let me heal the shame you're carrying. Would you, in your own way, open up both your hands as a gesture of saying, Holy Spirit, speak to me now. I'm not going to ask you to come forward, but I do ask that you open up your hands right in front of you as a gesture, Holy Spirit, speak to me now. Now you may have experienced the shame in different ways in your life, or maybe God is actually bringing one particular incident to you in which now as you hear, God is just weighing that incident on your heart. It's flashing in your mind. You're feeling that shame all over again as you recall it. Holy Spirit, speak to me. Make that your prayer. Holy Spirit, speak to me. Don't flinch away. Let Holy Spirit come. He's gentle. He's loving. Say, Holy Spirit, speak to me. This is my shame. If you just feel like God is just um, causing you to be aware of some pain, whether it's physical or like in your heart, and you're not sure how to respond, you can raise your hand if you feel need help, but otherwise stay where you are and just lean into it. Holy Spirit, speak to me. That's our prayer. Some of you are recognizing how shame shows up in your life. It, it's shame disguised as um, excellence. It's shame disguised as introversion. It's shame disguised as Is shame disguised as, Aya, it's okay, I'll let others have it first. Sacrificial. Or shame disguised as modesty. Or shame disguised as anger. Whatever it is, 
If Holy Spirit is speaking to you about that now, will you respond? We're just going to take a little more just to do business with God. Go deeper a little. of you, you feel like this is not really for me, I invite you to pray for those who are responding. Let this be a communal response, that God heals our shame, not individually, guys. God heals our shame as a family here. some of us this is very new you're like okay when are we ending I really feel for those who are going a little deeper with God with courage today that we need to give them a bit more space that God that you can deal with our shame in the gaze of others because we can trust you. For those of us who have slinked away in the darkness, afraid to be exposed for the lack that we see in ourselves, we are comfortable in the darkness of our souls. This day we say, God, we step into this place of healing with you. God, we carry shame, whether it's our own or from generations past or on behalf of people we love. We carry so much of the shame that cuts us off from receiving all your goodness. And we mask them in so many ways. And so today we pray, even as a church, God, would you heal our shame? Would you heal our shame? Would you be the lifter of our heads?
Jesus, we thank you for taking our shame once for all. And so with this shame we find ourselves still carrying, we bring to you, we ask, Holy Spirit, teach us how to be healed and how to receive your love in greater fullness, in greater measure, in greater depth, fuller body than it has ever been in our lives. We pray that you would uncork all of that shame, God, so that we can receive and be confident in receiving it, that our faces will be radiant with joy, no longer shamed, but you will lift up our countenance to look at you with all confidence. And we say thank you, God, for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's respond in worship.